What did you want to be when you were growing up? What was your dream? What was your career, your role, your position? Or if you're still growing up, what do you want to be when you grow up? What's your dream? You know, as I was, when I was in seventh grade, I had a dream of what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be an entomologist. I wanted to study insects. I had tons of books about insects and bugs. And bugs aren't really insects. Bugs are a class of insects. But anyway, that's, that's something I learned. I had uh, collections of insects, which I would kill painlessly, and then pin onto cardboard boxes and write their Latin names. About midway through my seventh grade year, I realized, maybe this is why I don't have any friends. Um, <laughs> but then when I was in eighth and ninth and tenth grade, I had another dream. I wanted to be a pro basketball player. I had it all mapped out. I wanted to go to UCLA, play under John Wooden, and then make it into the pros. Not a great player in the pros, but I just wanted to make it into the pros. That was my dream. I got to say, I could have been a contender, but I was great at defense. I was great at passing. I had a great jump shot from about 15 feet, or maybe more like six feet. But I could never get that long-range jumper down, the physics, the mechanics of that long-range jumper. If you ever played basketball, it's really hard. Well, you know, I learned that there is one guy in our church, on our church staff, that has a superpower. Lane Young, our youth pastor. Lane, wave your hand over there, okay? If you need help in getting the physics, the mechanics of your long-range jumper, go talk to Lane. This guy can shoot the lights out from like 30 feet. He's amazing. He did grow up in Indiana, though, so that explains it all. So... But everyone, when you're growing up, everyone had a dream of something. And everyone that's growing up has a dream of something. And I think that's a good thing. A dream of what you want to do with the rest of your life. It's a dream of, dream of significance. A dream of making an impact. It's a dream of greatness in a good way. Living a life of greatness. And I don't think we ever stop asking that question. What do I want to be when I grow up? It becomes, what do I want to be in the next phase of my life? And, and even when we retire and we don't have official work, it's like, what am I doing with my life? What kind of impact am I making? Where does my significance come from as a human being in those roles? Well, I have some good news for this morning. Because the Bible has an answer to that question for everyone. Now, it doesn't have a specific answer like you should be a nurse or you should be an accountant or you should be an auto mechanic. It doesn't have that kind of specificity. But it does have a general answer of what we're supposed to be when we're growing up, as we're growing up, as we're going to the next season of our life. And it's found in one of our scripture readings this morning, and it's actually sprinkled throughout the Bible as well. It's a particular word for the job description that we have as followers of Jesus. That word is... God wants you to grow up and be a priest. Now, when I say that, some people, I don't know what your response is. We have, I think, great priests at Res, and I think they're great role models, but you might be thinking, I love them, but I don't want to be a priest. I was hoping you'd say a leader, or a creative, or an artist, or a scholar, or something like that. But a priest? Well, Hold on, because I think this theme is really life-changing. The early church had a phrase for this, and this church that's been true throughout church history. is the, the phrase is, the priesthood of all believers. Or, as some Christians call it, the universal priesthood. It means that everyone who's a follower of Jesus is called to be a priest. 
Everyone is called to a life of true significance and greatness in and through your priestly role as a follower of Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, let me try to get, kind of capsulize that in one really short definition. And capsulize it like this. To be a priest, the priesthood of all believers means that everyone in all places is called to be a bridge builder between God and people. Everyone is called in all places to connect God with people in your life. That's what it means to be a priest. Now, where do we get this idea? Well, for starters, let me invite you to turn in your bulletin to the reading from Revelation chapter 1. Revelation, as you may know, is the last book of the Bible. It's full of a lot of crazy stuff, um, a lot of symbols, uh, a lot of figures, a lot of things that are kind of hard to understand at first. And sometimes when people read Revelation, it's like they think they're reading something different from the rest of the Bible. But really, the book of Revelation just recaptures and recapitulates and brings together a lot of themes that are found throughout the Scripture. And one of them is the priesthood of all believers. So look at chapter one, or, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Now, when John was writing this from an island, he's writing to people who are probably discouraged, probably people who are being persecuted, and people who may have been getting apathetic in their faith. And so he wants to remind them who Jesus is and who they are in Jesus. And so what he does in verse 5 is he tells us three things that are true about Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, he's the firstborn of the dead, and he's the ruler of the kings on earth. Christ is pretty amazing. But then he goes on to say three things that Jesus does for us. To him who loves us, that's the first thing he does, is he loves us. And has freed us from our sins by his blood. And the third thing is, now first of all, he loves us and he's freed us from our sins by his blood. That's a pretty good, that's an amazing deal. That's the heart of the gospel. That God loves you unconditionally. That God loves you in the midst of your imperfection. That God loves you in the midst of your sin. And that he has freed you from your sins by his blood. But there's more. It says, and he has made us a kingdom. Priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So what did he make us? He made us a kingdom of priests. Now I said that this runs throughout the Bible. Let me give you a couple other instances just so we get kind of how this theme is woven throughout the Bible. If you, you flip over one page, okay, to the sermon notes page where it says what to do with the rest of your life, Pastor Matt Woodley. This theme appears first in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. Exodus, the second book of the Bible. It's talking to all the people of Israel, every one of them, and it says this, For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Everybody that believes in the living God is part of this universal priesthood. Now, let me just address a question real quick. You might be thinking, okay, so if we're all priests... Uh, what's this guy doing over here and calling himself a priest? No offense, Father Kevin, okay? Why does he get to call himself a priest if we're all priests? Well, I was asking this question to one of our priests, Father Stephen. I said, what, why is that so? And, and Father Stephen actually had a great analogy for me. He said, think of it like this. Most of us here are probably citizens of the United States, okay? If you're a citizen of the United States, you are 100% a citizen of the United States. Nobody is 75% a citizen. Nobody's 120% a citizen. You're just a citizen or you're not. 
and everybody is equal in their citizenship. But within that citizenship, under that umbrella of citizenship, there are people that have certain roles as citizens of the United States. One might be a congresswoman, one might be a judge, one might be a policeman. They have certain roles as citizens that we don't have. We are not called to do what they're called to do. Well, in the same way, in the Bible and throughout church history, within this, under this umbrella of the universal priesthood, the kingdom of all believers, there are people who are set aside to be priests. Priests among the priests. They're not like an elite group. They just have a different role than the rest of us have. Notice the, the second verse there, 1 Peter 2, 9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This is talking about every believer of Jesus. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. One more, Revelation 5, 9 through 10. For you, Jesus, were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Did you notice that, how this universal priesthood cuts across racial divide, cuts across ethnic divisions? That's why racism in the church of God is such a horrible sin against God's new community, what God has made us to be. God did not make us to be a kingdom that has ethnic and racial animosity and prejudice. So, this theme gets woven through the Bible. The priesthood of all believers, which I've defined as everyone in all places, called to be a bridge builder between God and people. Let me look at that just kind of phrase by phrase, okay? Everyone, first of all. If you've been here for a while, you've heard Bishop Stewart for the last five weeks talking about a vision statement for Church of the Resurrection that we are equipping everyone for transformation. Everyone is called to be a priest. In other words, how do you qualify for this role? How do you get in the club of priesthood? Is it because you got the right job or you got the, came from the right family or you grew up in the right church or you have the right personality or you came from the right racial background? It has nothing to do with that. Notice Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 again. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us priests to his God and Father. Why did he do that? It was sheer grace. It was God's election, God's choice. He chose to do that because he loved us. Did we make ourselves somehow qualify ourselves? No. He made us. Like God made the earth out of nothing. He made us into a kingdom out of not very promising material sometimes. Now, one of my favorite Southern Baptist writers is a guy named Russell Moore. And if you've never read Russell Moore, I really encourage you to read him because he's a great thinker on contemporary culture. And uh, Russell Moore, a few weeks ago, he had a blog post in which he talked about how God chooses people in his sheer grace and equips them to be ministers of transformation. And here's what Russell Moore said. He said, The next Billy Graham might be a skid row drunk right now. The next Mother Teresa might be 
a famous actress, utterly self-absorbed, self-centered, making millions of dollars a year and just being divorced for the fourth time. The next Augustine of Hippo, a famous leader from the early church, might be a sexually promiscuous cult member right now, just like, come to think of it, the first Augustine of Hippo was. God delights taking unlikely, unqualified people who have already decided they're not the right type. God loves taking these people and equipping them and saving them and redeeming them and sending them as priests into his kingdom so that everyone includes everyone and that everyone includes you this morning. So everyone, in all places, is called to be a priest. Your priestly role doesn't start and stop inside the church walls. That's the beauty of this priesthood of all believers, this universal priesthood. That's the, that's the beauty of it, is that your life can have significance no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. You don't have to find your significance in your work. You find your significance in who Christ has made you to be. Let me give you an example. My friend Willis Finnefrock from Barnum, Minnesota, a town in northeastern Minnesota where I lived for eight years. Willis <clears throat> spent his career raising turkeys and, and cattle. And then towards the end of his career, he spent another stint delivering fuel oil and fixing furnaces. Because he did those things out of love for God, that was his priestly duty. He's bending down, fixing an old boiler furnace. He's doing priestly work. I think of my friend Nancy, who runs the HR department for a small business in Minneapolis. Because she does that out of love for God and others, that is her priestly duty. I think of my friend Kenny, who's a personal injury lawyer on Long Island. Kenny told me, I said, Kenny, how do you think of your role as a Christian? He said, you know, I've heard all the bad, rotten lawyer jokes. You know, I think they're funny. But he said, honestly, people have been wronged. There has been true negligence in cases. And people's lives have been, at least temporarily, not just disrupted, but almost destroyed by negligence of people. And he said, who is going to fight for them? I see this as, my role is, this is really closely connected to my role as a Christian. He's right. That is his priestly duty. Throughout the Bible, priests had a very particular role. One of their roles was to offer sacrifices to God. So they would take things on behalf of people, animals, grain, first fruits from the harvest, and they would take them and they would offer them back to the Lord as an act of worship, saying, as an act of thanksgiving, saying, God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And now we just take a little bit of what you've given us and we offer it back to you as a sign of our thanksgiving. Well, that's what priests do. Well, the early church loved to point to a verse in the New Testament that talks about the priesthood of Christian believers. And the verse was Romans 12:1, and it goes like this. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. 
So anything you do with your body, including your mind, is part of what, if, as long as it's not an outright sin, can be part of what, your role as a priest, can be an offering to God, can be an act of worship. That's part of your priestly job description. Now let me just say that when we, talk, when we think about it in all places, when we think about making an offering, we tend to think of things that are going to get noticed, things that are going to get applauded, things that are going to get affirmed things that are going to get blessed by the people in our life or maybe blessed by society. We think about doing great things for God. We think about changing the world for Jesus or changing the world for good or whatever phrase you want to use. And sometimes our priestly duty is that. But I would contend that a lot of times, maybe most of the time, our priestly duty, these offerings that we make, these thanksgiving offerings we make, are often really small seemingly insignificant acts of kindness and justice and mercy and obedience to God. I read an article a few years ago, which is actually based, I think, on a quote by P.J. O'Rourke. The article had this great line in it. It said, Everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to do the dishes. Isn't that true? I want to change the world! Okay, do the dishes. You know, a lot of times those are small things. It's like an editor, a writer, getting the sentence just right for the glory of God. It's like a doctor taking time to make sure the stitches are right. It's like a marketer making a banner ad with as much beauty as possible. It's like a salesman or a realtor treating people with respect and kindness. It's like a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa changing a thousand diapers or reading 10,000 bedtime stories. Who's going to applaud you for that? And yet that is a key part of your priestly duty. And you can do that in all places. So everyone, in all places, is called to be a bridge builder between God and people. And one of the Latin words, one of the Latin words for priest is the word pontifex, which literally translated means a bridge builder. That's what every priest does. You're a bridge builder. So the question you need to wrestle with in your own life is, who are your people? Okay, if a, a priest, well, literally Jesus is the priest. He's the high priest. He's the high priest who stands before God the Father in a broken and fallen humanity and builds the bridge through his life, death, and resurrection so that we can come into fellowship with God. But Jesus has given us a share in this priestly role. So the question you need to ask is, who, is, who are your people? Okay, you got God over here. Okay, I know who God is. But who are my people that I'm called to make this connection? I like to think of it this way. Um, in the game of soccer, or football, as the rest of the world calls it, there is an area on the soccer pitch, or field, called the penalty area. It's a, on each goal. There's not a lot of markings on the soccer field. It's a pretty simple field. There's a little circle in the middle, a line in the middle. And then there's a, this penalty area out from each goal on each side of the field. Penalty area over here, penalty area over here. Now, goalies, the soccer goalies, they don't call that the penalty area. They call that 
the goalie box. You might think, well, that's a little presumptuous that it's your box. It's not just yours, but in a way it is. It is the goalie box. Because inside that box, a goalie has an incredible superpower. He can use his hands. Nobody else can use his hands. Everybody else has to use their feet or their head or their chest. The goalie can use his hands. And secondly, he's got an amazing responsibility. He's got to protect his goal. As you know, there aren't a lot of goals scored in soccer. So he has to take this job very seriously. So he calls it the goalie box. And every goalie that I know that's really good at what they do, and I know a few of them, they have a certain attitude about their box. They're really, they have an attitude. And their attitude is, they say something like this. This is my box. This is, and they call it my house. This is my house. And people come into my house, I'm going to take care of my box. So I love that because as a Christian, you have a box. You have a zone. You have a house. You have a people. Now, it might be geographical. That's part of it. It's your home. It's your marriage. If you're married, it's your children. It's your roommates. If you're living as single people, that is part of your house, your box. But it's also not geographical. Part of my zone, part of my box is people in Phnom Penh, Cambodia, people in Joss, Nigeria. That's part of my box. But my box is also... Two Brothers Coffee Shop in Aurora, where I try to go once a week. My box is also my neighborhood in East Aurora. My box is Church of the Resurrection. That's all part of my box. So the question you've got to ask is, what is your box? What is your zone? You know, the uh, Vaclav Havel, the uh, Czech playwright who became the leader of the Czech people, he had a famous quote. He said, the secret of man, or the secret of a human being, is the secret of his responsibility. The secret of what is my box? What am I responsible for? You know, the thing with Jesus, here's the thing with Jesus, and it can be really fun or it can be really annoying, depending on how you look at it. Jesus is always messing with our box. He's always, you know, we don't get to draw the lines of our box. Jesus will draw that for us. So he's always like, uh, I want this person in your box. And we're going to say, I don't really want that person. Well, I'm sorry, they're in your box. Uh, I don't want that group of people in my box. I'm sorry, they're in your box. You've got to take care of them. You're responsible for them. I draw the lines of your box. You don't draw your own box. Let me give you a couple examples. I met this week with a, a couple of uh, high school teachers. They teach at a public high school in the area. One of them, uh, actually two of them, one of them goes to res here, and one of them goes to City of Light Res in uh, Res Plant in Aurora. They meet every Friday morning. This happens to be men. Um, this group could be women, but this group happens to be men. They meet every Friday morning at six, from 6.30 to 7. And they meet as believers in Jesus to pray about their school. To pray about their role as a teacher. To pray about fellow teachers. To pray for students. I met with them this Friday to pray with them, and I was like, I was so moved. Because here's a bunch of people, Christians, who have said, this is our house. This is our box. The box that the Lord has given us. And we are going to be responsible for this. So, 
Again, who are your people? Who are your people? Surely, if you're married and you have kids, it's your, it's your home, it's your marriage, it's your family. But it's always bigger than that. As I said, Jesus is expanding our box. What can you do? Well, here's one really simple thing you can do for your role as a priest. Just start praying for people that are in your zone. Start taking care of them spiritually by praying for them. For instance, I just don't know how anybody can love well, whether it's your children or your grandchildren or your spouse or people that you don't find very lovable. I don't know how to do that very well. And so I am just constantly crying out to God, or I should be constantly crying out to God, God, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your mercy for this person. I need to know what to say in this situation. I need to know how to respond. I need to know how to shepherd this child. I need to know how to guide this friend. I need to know how to bless this person. Lord, help me. That's part of, a big part of what priests do. They define their box, and then they pray for people. So you're a priest. You're a kingdom of priests. Let me just say that there's there's two ways to respond to this, this message of the universal priesthood. Two equally bad ways to respond. One would be pride. That's obvious. We start, I'm superior than other people. My box is better than people. I'm in the club because there's something great about me. You know, blah, blah, blah. That's pride. But let me talk about the second one that we might not think about as much. And that is what I'll call false humility. A false humility that says, Who, me? Me? A box? Me? Responsible for people? Me? A priest? I don't think so. I'm not qualified. I'm impatient. I'm angry. I'm unloving. I'm harsh with people. I'm, I swear too much. I lust too much. I worry too much or whatever you too much, you know. And I'm not a horrible person, but uh, I just, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not that kind of Christian. And really, if you're that kind of person, you like shrink back. It's like, oh, I don't want to put myself out there as a priest because I might get hurt. Or I might mess it up. Or I might hurt people. Or I might just sin again, you know. So maybe you've made a bargain with God that goes something like this. Lord, I won't ask you for too much if you don't ask too much of me. Can we just have that agreement, Lord? And the Lord says, "Uh, no, no deal to that. You're a priest. I want you to step forward. That's part of why I loved you and freed you from your sins. I qualified you for that. And I made you into a kingdom of priests. So, live into your calling as a priest by the grace of God, invited by Jesus, qualified by the blood of Jesus. I was talking this week and... um, uh, Father Kevin just gave a great suggestion as I was kind of going through my sermon with him, and he said, why don't you just bless the people of God, the priests of God, to go and be blessed in their role 
as a priest. So that's what I want to do right now. So as a priest, who's a non-priest, who was told by a priest to bless all the priests, okay, I would like to give you a priestly blessing from one priest to another. So receive the blessing of God. May Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless you in the zone that the Lord has given you, the box that the Lord has given you to be responsible for. And may you not shrink away in false humility, but by the power of the Spirit and the call of Jesus and the qualification of the blood of Christ, may you step into your role to be a priest, to connect God to people in all times and in all places. In Jesus' name, amen.